<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblumaniac, Mike Tricia. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I'm excited by how excited you were on that hello of the <laughs> intro. You said it with such force that now I'm ready to dive into Go Bloom shenanigans. Uh, I mean, part of that was just me like testing out the volume of my microphone because I uh, <laughs> did not do that ahead of time. So good, uh, good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, I am excited to uh, dive into this movie, Mike, because uh, it's a weird one. And we're also kind of entering in a new phase of uh, Jeff Goldblum's career. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. We, we've crossed the the line. You know, we're here in the post Jurassic Park world. Finally, yeah. we spent so much time in that post fly pre Jurassic Park Euro Go Bloom trash uh, yes. stuff, <laughs> and now we're entering the post Jurassic Park Go Bloom as a household name mid nineties trash. This is true, <laughs> uh, and we're going to be talking about a lot of that trash in the weeks to come. But uh, yeah, we're talking about nineteen ninety five right now, and like you said, we're now living in a post Jurassic Park world. That means Hollywood studios are starting to lean on CGI visual effects more and more with each passing year. Uh, in our Jurassic Park episode, we actually joked a little bit about how the effects in that movie still hold up to this day. They look great. And a lot of the other movies of that era don't look as good. And one of the examples that we brought up was 1992's The Lawnmower Man, which was a sci fi horror movie based on a Stephen King story, which utilized effects that at the time seemed groundbreaking. Uh, unlike Jurassic Park, they have not aged particularly well. <laughs> no, it's like a lot of like clip art stuff. Yes, <laughs> which was really uh, well parodied uh, in season six of Community. There's an episode where the Dean is in a virtual reality right. thing uh, and they reference Lawnmower Man at one point. Like, don't didn't you see Lawnmower Man? Like, you bet your ass I saw Lawnmower Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I think of now every time I think about Lawnmower Man, which is often. <laughs> but the Lawnmower Man wasn't a critical hit when it was released. It did make a decent amount of money. And so its director, Brett Leonard, got to keep making movies, uh, many of which would also involve CGI visual effects similar to what the Lawnmower Man used. But Stephen King was not a fan of the movie, uh, said it bore no resemblance to his work and actually sued the filmmakers to remove his name from the title of the movie. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, which uh, and we know Stephen King is is never shy to uh, describe his reaction to a, a movie based on his books. Uh, no. So that totally makes sense. Uh, so that bridge pretty much burned as a result for his next film. Brett Leonard pretty much moved down the list of well-known horror writers and uh, yep. ended up adapting a novel by Dean Koontz. Which, yeah. Uh, have you read any Dean Koontz novels, Mike? Um, I don't know if I've ever read any Dean Koontz novels, but I used to have a uh, like scary stories, like kids story, like a scary stories to tell in the dark kind of yeah. thing. And I think it was called Scary Verse and Nothing Worse by Dean Koontz. And it was like all these kind of like, you know, rhyming, poetic kids, scary stories. Sure. Stuff. Yeah. So that's my exposure to reading Dean Koontz. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think uh, I read a Dean Koontz novel my sophomore year of college and I like, did a book report on it. 
Uh, but I could not tell you what the novel was. I genuinely have no memory of what that book was, who, what it was about, or what the <laughs> characters' names were. Like no, nothing about that book stuck with me. And I did a full book report on it. I did a presentation about it. You know, at the at the front of my class. Yeah. I, I know it was a Dean Koontz book. I have no idea which book. It was. I mean, that sounds right, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and here's the thing. Dean Koontz has always been kind of seen as sort of the poor man, Stephen King. Uh, there's a family guy joke that uh, I used to laugh at back in the day, which is when Brian uh, runs over uh, an author and is like, oh, my God, I ran over Stephen King. And it's like, no, I'm Dean Koontz. And it's like, oh, <laughs> and he runs over him again. Uh, <laughs> but Dean Koontz, you know, has had a lot of success in the horror genre over the last, you know, several decades, you know, 80s, and 90s, wrote a lot of best-selling books and uh, the same thing kind of happened with Dean Koontz that happened with Stephen King on the lawnmower man. Uh, Koontz hated this movie Amazing. Uh, and he said it changed so much of his novel that it was virtually unrecognizable as the same story and actually fought the studio TriStar to have his name removed from the movie's credits. Uh, so it's basically exactly like what happened wow. to Stephen King on lawnmower man. Uh, so the experience on hideaway actually hurt him so much that he would allow the next film adaptation of his work phantoms to be made if he was granted approval of the final version of the film. Uh, he had to have seen the final cut before that movie got made. Wow. Yeah. He got burned so bad by this movie. By this one. So there's a lot of baggage to bring into a movie, but let's try to enjoy Goldblum being in a horror movie again. It's 1995's Hideaway. Uh, Fade on Chinatown. Jack Nicholson. Which is at least Cher. What else has Cher been in? Gifts in the head. That's the movie game. No other share. Okay, what about uh, another Jack Nicholson? I know, I know. Many people believe the road between life and death can only be traveled in one direction. No beat, no alpha, no beta. Beta or Elvis. Let's bring him back. Clear! But Hatch Harrison has journeyed to the other side. We never revived anyone after 120 minutes. Records are made to be broken. Clear! And returned. Now, was I supposed to turn into the skid? (laughs) God's given you a second chance at life. I wonder what it was like to be on the other side. Is there anything wrong with you that's not physical? So what was it? An acid flashback? Yeah, trippy. Well, after what you've been through, I'd be surprised if you weren't having nightmares. He's never had nightmares like this before. 18-year-old Wendy Stone is still missing after 72 hours. This girl isn't missing. She's dead. Next time you have one of these gut feelings, I suggest you try Alka-Seltzer. Why am I having these visions? You crossed over. You brought something back with you. Something very powerful. Well, I'm in it. It feels like I'm doing it. What's happening, Hatch? Could my situation be beyond? You mean, could it be more spiritual in nature? He knows you watch him. Yes. How do you know these things? We're connected somehow. He sees through me. He's completely paranoid. Now he's convinced he's psychically connected to somebody. Regina! Someone close to you is in danger. Do you have a daughter? No! Your weakness would bring about her death. My weakness? Never! I'm the one who's gonna stop this guy. Nobody's trying to kill Regina! He's here. Regina! Tell me what I should do. Tell me. Believe me. From the chilling bestseller, Hideaway. 
So this is Jeff Goldblum's first theatrical starring role post Jurassic Park, which was a huge boost for his career. Uh, he made three movies in 1995, but this is the only one where he's the lead. Actually, the shift to ensemble guy for Goldblum, which we've talked about many times, is already starting. Thanks to Jurassic Park. Wow. It's that quick. It's like immediate. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he pop up in the lead, you know, here and there from this point forward. But like almost immediately, they're like, OK, he's a great supporting player. Uh, so Goldblum appears in this movie as Hatch Harrison. Great name, by the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he's a man who's been brought back from the dead using experimental medical procedures and is now seeing visions of a man killing young girls. Uh, his wife, Lindsay Harrison, is played by Christine Lati, uh, known for her role in Jonathan Demi's Swing Shift and the CBS series Chicago Hope in the late 90s. And their daughter, Regina Harrison, is played by Alicia Silverstone, who would actually appear in Clueless that very same year. Look at that. Yeah. I wondered, I, I was trying to, like, I couldn't remember the timelines, and I was like, she's barely in this movie. This has to be before Clueless, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think this was, this was like March 95. I think Clueless is probably like, that had to have been a summertime right that feels like a july or august release so yeah it was the same year as clueless for sure that much we know uh and guess what the serial killer who stalks regina visago was also in clueless that same year (laughs) (laughs) that's Uh, out of a bitch yes that is uh jeremy sisto who plays elton in clueless uh who's one of the guys who's like interested in share that she tries to fix up with the tie i watched clueless very recently so i know their names (laughs) he was also on law and order for a couple of seasons plus the abc sitcom suburgatory a few years back then there's dr jonas nyburn whose procedures brought gold plume back uh he's played by alfred molina aka doc ock from spider-man 2 uh who is one of my favorite character actors love seeing him in this movie uh, Rose Orweto, a psychic Goldblum goes to, is played by Ray Don Chong from The Color Purple and Commando. Uh, Michael McDonald from Mad TV appears as a young cop uh, at one point. What? How did uh, I miss that? I think he's probably like an extra or something. I can't oh, believe okay. I, I don't think he has like a speaking role. Uh, and finally, we got a couple of uh, Twin Peaks guys popping up in here, Mike. Uh, I don't know if you recognized uh, those Twin Peaks cameos. I don't know. Uh, but this was um, the mid 90s. Kind of, it's kind of peak post Twin Peaks uh, <laughs> era. Peak peaks. It's peak peaks. Uh, Don S. Davis, who played Major Briggs on Twin Peaks. Uh, he appears here as Dr. Martin and Kenneth Welsh, who played Wyndham Earl on Twin Peaks. Uh, he plays Detective Breach, uh, who investigates Goldblum's reports. That's who uh, that guy was. Yeah, I know. He looked so familiar. And then I realized that it was Wyndham Earl, the guy in the part of Twin Peaks that no one likes. Uh, yep. <laughs> Uh, so Hideaway was written by Neil Jimenez and Andrew Kevin Walker. Uh, Jimenez is best known for writing the movie River's Edge, which uh, you almost made me watch for a Mike Makes Mike watch uh, a little while oh, back. Oh, yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Crispin Glover. Uh, and Andrew Kevin Walker was a go-to serial killer guy in the 90s. Uh, he also wrote David Fincher's Seven and a movie we covered on the last season of this podcast. Mike, do you remember what movie that was? Eight millimeter. You're right. Yeah. Is it really? Yes. It crushed it. <laughs> Based yeah. purely on aesthetic choices alone. You are correct. Yeah, this is like his serial killer trilogy. Uh, Hideaway, Seven, Eight Millimeter. He also did like uncredited rewrites on The Game and Panic Room, worked with David Fincher a couple of times. Uh, and it was directed by Brett Leonard three years after The Lawnmower Man took America by storm. <laughs> and just a few months before his next movie, actually, a sci-fi action film starring Denzel Washington called Virtuosity, which uh, I have not seen. 
But it apparently also involves a lot of these crazy CGI lawnmower man-esque effects. Uh, so there's that, too. Uh, most recently, he actually just finished development on a new film called Triumph, uh, which is an inspirational sports drama starring Terrence Howard and R.J. Mitte, who played Walt Jr. on Breaking Bad. Uh, oh. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm kind of bummed that he uh, ditched the uh, the 90s CGI aesthetic mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's instead moving into inspirational sports drama territory. Uh, unless I watch Triumph and it is insane and filled with <laughs> that exact kind of special effect. I really hope that's the case. <laughs> it's a virtual reality sports drama. Yes. <laughs> Jesus wept. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Hideaway was not a critical success and was not a huge hit financially either. Uh, had a budget of roughly $15 million, made about $26 million at the box office in total. Uh, the movie opened on March 3rd, 1995 and opened in third place. Uh, opening at number one that weekend was a Disney comedy called Man of the House with Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It was the Uh, 90s. Uh, (laughs) Classic. Classic man do women thing. Equal funny. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Also at that weekend was Roommates, a comedy drama with Peter Falk and Julianne Moore. And in the top 10 that weekend were the Brady Bunch movie, uh, Just Cause, Pulp Fiction, which was number six in its 21st week at the box office. What? Uh, Forrest Gump, which was number seven in its 35th week at the box office. Holy shit. I mean, this would this would have been March 95. This is like right around the time the Oscars would have been happening. Right. Right. So, so Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, both nominated for Best Picture. You, you know, you get that post Oscar bump and all that stuff. You're you're lucky if a movie gets 35 days now. <laughs> exactly. Especially or else uh, those get dumped on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Billy Madison also in the top 10 uh, legends of the fall and heavyweights uh, rounding out that uh, top 10 this week. Man. It's a good week. Good week. What a solid plots. top 10. I would say uh, the IMDB plot synopsis for hideaway reads hatch gets a special resuscitative medicine after dying in a car accident. His wife and daughter only get minor injuries. He gets strange nightmares such as killing a teen girl. Is it just dreams? <laughs> Thanks, computer generated uh, <laughs> plot synopsis. I believe the uh, the visual effects from Hideaway actually wrote this plot synopsis. <laughs> that's what that feels. Like. I feel like that's got to be what happened. Uh, so, Mike, what did you expect going into Hideaway, and what did you get coming out of it? What were your overall thoughts on this movie? I mean, you know, I I didn't have the highest expectations, being as this is uh, a movie I'd never heard of before, and coming out in '95 being a thriller with uh Goldblum and Alicia Silverstone based on Dean a Dean Koontz novel like on their own that's a, a lot of very good parts and if this movie had ended up being very good I feel like we would have heard of it would have heard of it <laughs> you know like we yeah. would there would be like a pop culture awareness to this movie and there is none so going in I was kind of expecting you know maybe not so great but maybe it'd be like a secret kind of like trashy 90s thriller thing that we would just have a lot of fun with yeah, um, but overall, I, I don't know. It feels kind of middling up against those expectations, which is th- there were none. But uh, <laughs> I had built up in my mind this like secret hope that this was like a trashy 90s thriller, maybe like some weird erotic thriller thing. And this would be like just a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, but overall, it kind of it kind of suffers a lot, I think, from the visual effects because there's just the funniest thing of all time. Oh, yeah. They're so bad. And it's it's weird. Like, there's not that much of them. But when they are there, I just can't stop thinking about them for the next 20 minutes. Uh, so, like, I just <laughs> miss whatever was happening in between the next <laughs> until the next visual effects scene. But I feel like it, it kind of starts off like fun in that kind of trashy 90s thriller thing. Like, you know, it's uh, Jeremy or whatever. Yeah, Jeremy, right, is the character's name. Uh, yeah. but we don't know it in the beginning. Killing 
his family and then himself. And then he gets zapped to uh, Windows 95 uh, <laughs> hell. And then, you know, and then and then we have this like kind of weird drama stuff with the, the you know, setting up the family with Goldblum and everything. But what I'm getting to is it, it kind of starts in this like place that I was like, OK, maybe maybe this is the thing I'm thinking of. Like, you know, the, I think the song playing when the, the murders start is like, I want to go to hell. But like in 90s, <laughs> like, like, yeah electronic punk or whatever the hell the way this movie like represents satanism is just put on some heavy metal it'll it'll get the job done (laughs) yeah that's all it takes wear sunglasses um so i thought maybe it would be but then it kind of it kind of softens the blows a little bit and just kind of becomes this family drama and it does at times have some like kind of bloody gore horror movie stuff which is fun when it's there but i think everything in between isn't quite enough to make me be like, oh man, this is this kind of hidden gem that like it would be fun to see in a movie marathon setting or something like that. It doesn't quite rise to that level, I don't think. So yeah, overall, it's fine. You know, it's okay, I guess. I think I gave it a three on uh, Letterboxd, which sure. is a very just kind of versatile rating. <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of shades of a three. A three uh, is my widest rating on Letterboxd. There are movies yeah. that I I don't like, but like appreciate that get threes, you know? There yeah. are movies that I think are like just good enough to get a three. There's like most movies are three out of fives right. in reality because the three is such an all-encompassing uh number. Yeah. Tell my <laughs> wife I said hello is what the three is. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I would say this movie is good necessarily, um, <laughs> but I, I did have a really fun time watching it. I, I feel like this scratched that trashy 90s thriller itch for me, uh, mm-hmm. which it sounds, sounds like it didn't maybe as much for you. But uh, it, I think I was just appreciative of how weird <laughs> and yeah. oh, for sure. bonkers this movie is. It goes to some pretty insane places. I think Goldblum's really fun in the lead role. You have that like really bad 90s CGI, which looks like you're about to start a new save file on Doom. You know, like that's, <laughs> it's like worse than Doom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially now. Now we know what Doom can look like. We've got the new yeah. Doom games and everything. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it looks worse than like Doom on the PC in the 90s for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are like worse ways to spend an hour and 45 minutes, basically. Like I did not dislike this movie. I actually think if if this had played at a horror marathon or something like that uh, and it was like movie number three or whatever, I think this would get a really fun crowd reaction. Okay. Uh, you know, especially uh, I think um, when we were at Dismember the Alamo in like 2017 or whatever, uh, one of the movies they show was Maximum Overdrive, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is the Stephen King movie, uh, which is a movie that I don't think is very good. But it was a movie that really played well with the audience and we had a lot of fun watching it. It was like the fourth movie they showed and we were just like gorged out on nachos, I think, at the time. Yeah, and, like, a couple beers in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and it played really well. And actually, the trailer that they showed before that was for The Lawnmower Man. That was like your yes. hint. Because it was like two Stephen King trailers back back and that was your hint that maximum overdrive was going to be uh the movie so uh yeah so i actually think that's sort of like maximum overdrive this is a middling movie that would play really well with the kind of crowd who wants to see this kind of movie you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that's true i think i kind of built it up to like it would be like a vinegar syndrome level like trashy thriller movie uh which you know a few things are i guess uh right. <laughs> um, so I, maybe that was unfair of me. I, I would say I think the movie does drag in the middle while we're kind of waiting for Goldblum to figure out what's happening, because anyone watching the movie has probably already figured out what's, what's happening for the most part. There there are some twists and turns that uh, do happen in the movie, uh, but I felt like I was always like a step of, a step ahead of wherever Goldblum was uh, in 
between the movies. So, you know, I got there a little faster than he did, but I think it's a good time. I had a, a fun time with the movie. I think it might be like a hidden underrated gem a little bit. Uh, okay. Maybe not, you know, but like it, it's, you know, original critical reception was, uh, you know, it has like a 20 percent of Rotten Tomatoes and all that stuff. But one of the only positive reviews for the movie was from Roger Ebert, who actually gave like a three out of four and said, like, you know, I'm not going to say this is a great movie, but you got like Jeff Goldblum and serial killers and a tarot card reading. Like, I don't know. What more do you want? That's basically what his <laughs> review says. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of like right there with him. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's enough like fun elements for me for me to enjoy Hideaway, you know? Yeah, I think like most movies, if it was 20 minutes shorter, it would be great. So, all right. What, what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in this movie, Mike? Uh, I mean, he's very good. I think Goldblum is is a lot of fun. He really does commit to the kind of like bewildered suburban dad having visions of a serial killer thing. Uh, yeah. You know, like they, they've been through some traumatic events before in the, you know, before the movie begins and, and them kind of trying to come to terms with that. I think he, he kind of makes this movie bearable not that it is that bad but i think him like as a persona and his presence in this movie kind of elevates it a little bit more to be to, to it gives it that like fun edge because he's just like so wide-eyed and, and baffled by everything that's happening which is kind of it does i think like you said get a little annoying when you're like all right come on we don't like everyone else in the entire movie in the world knows what's happening just put it right. together put it together please but he still uh does he does sell that very well and he's fun to watch what <laughs> we watch goldblum watch a vision so many times in this movie uh, <laughs> it's like every two minutes <laughs> yeah and he sells that very well yeah i think he's fun uh in the movie i also felt like this is the kind of role that we would have covered nicholas cage playing during the last like few years of his career oh, yes. uh like those, those you know those direct video thrillers where every single one of them was Nick Cage and a wife and a daughter and maybe the daughter was kidnapped or whatever and Nicolas Cage is out for revenge that's like <laughs> six movies that Nicolas Cage was in uh, of course including Rage which uh, despite starring in Rage he is still just Nicolas Cage What was the one I can, I can never remember that there there had the title in this next like they had the same title or the word from the movie I can't oh man I'll, I'll, I'll Ooh, ruined it. there was something with the same there I mean there was vengeance a love story right yeah. there was rage there was stolen there was trespass I think it was like seeking justice and then revenge was that one or something like that or you know I think uh, I think you might be right about that I think one of them said something like and now I'm gonna be seeking justice but it was the other movie. It wasn't right. the one called Seeking Justice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it might have been Rage. I think it was, I think it was Seeking Justice and Rage is Maybe. my guess. Uh, you know what we'll have to do? We're going to have to go watch Seeking Justice and Rage. <laughs> wow. Stay tuned for again. the next Mike Makes Mike Watch. <laughs> Make each other watch these movies that we already made each other watch. <laughs> Like two years ago, uh, I want to do a double feature of Hideaway and Looking Glass. I think that'd be very. Oh fun. man, that actually uh, also a similar movie. Both involve motels, you know. Yes. So, uh, yes. so there's that. Uh, yeah, I, honestly, like I want to go back and listen to all those like more recent Cage podcasts because so many of those movies have left my memory. <laughs> oh, instantly they're gone. Like as soon as we recorded the podcast, and oftentimes before we recorded the podcast. <laughs> They were just uh, immediately disappeared from my mind. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, all right. So yeah, I, I do think Jeff Goldblum is very good in the movie, <laughs> which is what we were talking about. 
And yeah, I think he plays his paranoia really well, too. And, you know, he plays the part of the family man. Well, uh, he gets to go big and say ridiculous things uh, with total sincerity, which is a hallmark of Nicolas Cage. Uh, and it's weird, like in these like some of these 90s movies, you're getting like glimpses of like what Jeff Goldblum's career might have been if he had like a Nicolas Cage trajectory. Right. He has that like deep cover scene where he's shouting about the barbecue jumbo shrimp. And yeah, uh, there was like one other movie where we compared him to Nicolas Cage uh, and I'm blanking on what it was. You know, shooting I, Elizabeth. Yeah, I was just I say it was definitely shooting Elizabeth. Uh, that big scene where he's, you know, pretending to murder his wife uh, or <laughs> rehearsing for it, really. Yeah. <laughs> and, and rehearsal for murder. Oh, uh, yes. Which is also a movie that uh, Jeff Goldblum was in, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's he has like a little bit of like cage, like manic energy in these some of these 90s movies. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of that in Hideaway also, which does make this a really fun movie to watch, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that if go like you said, if Go Bloom's career had gone the way Cage had done. Uh, I could see this. I could see, like, you know, if he didn't get that kind of like meme resurgence the same way, or Cage kind of missed the meme resurgence that Go Bloom got, where he just kind of gets big bit parts in very big movies. Like, Go Bloom is the Grandmaster. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah, things see, like I, that. I see what you're saying. Well, whereas Cage. Although he was also turned into a meme, uh, he ended up more doing like leading roles or supporting roles in like smaller, low scale directed video right. stuff mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, you come back and be Ian Malcolm for five seconds, uh, you know. <laughs> right. There could have been a National Treasure 3 that's not about Nick Cage at all, but he comes in for five seconds and says, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence uh, <laughs> to it, Congress for some don't, reason. Don't threaten Disney Plus with a good time, man. That's uh, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> that's I, I, I remember there was like talk a little while ago about them doing like some kind of National Treasure TV series. And, you know, maybe Nicolas Cage will make a cameo, but I don't. Uh, a, I'm not sure if that'll happen. I think it could happen, but I don't think Nicolas Cage would be involved with it if they did a TV show. But you never know. Who, who knows? And Nicolas Cage is an unpredictable person. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, definitely possible. But the point is, Jeff Goldblum gets to say ridiculous things in this movie uh, really sincerely, and it's very fun to watch. Uh, so how do you think this role fits in the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? Um, well, I think uh, we, we have a return to the horror uh, genre. So, you know, to go way back, we get Sentinel. You know, which yep. is kind of this also supernatural horror thing. Uh, this movie, you know, Hideaway deals with angels and demons and heaven and hell and Sentinel. It was about the literal door to hell, I think. Yeah. Right? No, there's yeah. definitely like Satanism and demonic possession and all that stuff. The Sentinel. And the, that was the first movie I thought of actually when yeah. I went thinking about this movie. Definitely. Uh, I also threw in Remember My Name, even because that's more just like a, a just thriller, drama, killer, murderer thing happening. OK, yeah. Uh, even though he was in that in both of those movies for like two minutes. Um, right. But really, the biggest, deepest connection is Threshold because there's doctors in it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that before we started recording and I was like, oh, yeah, Threshold was a movie. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Technically, it was a movie. It kind of exists in that like Legend of Sleepy Hollow uh, nexus, which uh, in in that it does not exist. Um, But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I connected it back to the Sentinel, too. Also, Mr. Frost, which is another movie uh, involving demonic possession. Uh, So there's that, Uh, you know, the Sentinel, Mr. Frost and Hideaway making an interesting trilogy. I think if you watched all three back to back, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we've gotten to see a uh, Goldblum as a father a couple of times, too, with uh, Ernie Kovacs between the laughter, Twisted Obsession, uh, Deep Cover. He has a daughter in that movie. And uh, of course, Fathers and Sons. 
Uh, <laughs> who, who could forget? Who could forget? It's right there in the title. Uh, <laughs> and also wanted to mention, uh, there's a, there's been a couple of movies now with Goldblum having psychic visions. Uh, first off, of course, there's vibes. Right. Uh, and then Fathers and Sons. Remember the twist ending? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the twist at the end of Fathers and Sons where he can read his son's mind and know where he is. That is sort of all throughout this movie. This That's kind of the whole point of Hideaway. It's, uh, I think it's interesting that that's like a subject that Goldblum has returned back to a few times. And same with the satanic and demonic possession stuff in uh, The Sentinel, Mr. Frost, and now this. Yeah, this, it's weird to, to pick up on the through lines of like these kind of odd things, odd themes, you know? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so let's start running the movie down scene by scene. Uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion about some of these scenes because there's some of this so insane. I think the first 15 minutes of this movie are balls out insanity. <laughs> they're, they're nuts. So uh, first off, you have the opening prologue, right? Uh, and there's this heavenly choir music that's uh, kind of fading in and out between this heavy metal right. soundtrack, right? Uh, the intense guitar, but then you hear like, oh. <laughs> uh, and while you're going back and forth with the music, you're also going from this church which has two people like a mother and a daughter praying in a room uh, to this kid who's in a room full of like Satan posters and like all that stuff. There's pentagrams and heavy metal posters and he's playing the music and all that stuff. This is it's such a rudimentary like like obviously this is Satanism because he <laughs> yeah. listens to metal. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know how you know this movie is from 1995. We're cutting between heavy metal and a choral, like chorus music. Uh, so it turns out those two people in the church, uh, the mom and the daughter, they are dead. Uh, they, you know, are tied together with like thorns in their hands or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it turns out the kid like killed them. The kid who was like the Satan worshiper. Uh, and like as he's in his room, he's like preparing himself for a satanic sacrifice. Uh, and he's like stabbing himself. He like lowers himself down on this knife. Uh, and as he's doing this, this sort of unseen man in a trench coat uh, is like running in and he sees the the woman and the daughter and you're not really clear on who these characters are yet because you don't know any of them. Uh, and when that guy in the trench coat came in, I thought it was Goldblum. Yeah, uh, it kind of sounded like Goldblum, uh, <laughs> but you never see his face. So mm. you don't actually know. I think it's a, a deliberate misdirect if they dubbed Goldblum's voice or something, because it sure as hell doesn't sound like the person it ends up being. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I thought the same thing. Yeah, which they deliberately don't show his face because that would ruin the twist at the end of the movie, such as there is. But uh, so this unseen man is rushing through. He sees the woman and the daughter. I think he says something to the effect that they're his you know, wife and daughter. And so yeah. he's like freaking out and he's like, oh, no, my son. And then he goes upstairs <laughs> and then he goes up the stairs and like the kid has lowered himself down in the knife and he's like bleeding out and he's di- he's dead. Uh, and the doc and the trench coat guy is there like shaking him like, whoa, no, what have you done? And then this like crazy <laughs> CGI tunnel vision happens. <laughs> yep. Uh, where you go through the kid's eyes. Uh, and you see his ghost and his ghost looks hilarious. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's this like sort of two. It looks like Casper, the friendly ghost, kind of. But like, you know, he just killed a bunch of people. Yeah, but like more sperm shaped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't even pretend it's not what it looks like. Right. If that were possible for Casper to be more sperm shaped, uh, <laughs> that, that, that is what uh, this this ghost looks like. And it's just kind of like his face superimposed <laughs> in like a that's, white blob. That's the best part. <laughs> it is just this completely amorphous shape with just a photo of his face like <laughs> photoshopped onto it. It is incredible. And so they're going through this tunnel vision. You see his ghost and then he's like wandering through the tunnels of hell or whatever 
whatever. And then there's this bunch of like there's this planet of flaming skeletons yeah. <laughs> that are like screaming in pain and agony on this giant ball. And it kind of looks like a planet from like Super Mario Galaxy, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> how, yeah. like every time you go to a level in that game, you just see the whole world. And it's just this one round, perfectly round ball with things popping out of it. Uh, that's what this planet looks like. Mm-hmm. That's where <laughs> they got the idea from for Super Mario <laughs> Galaxy, actually. I actually think this might have been where they got the idea for um, uh, Neo's wardrobe in the Matrix uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a couple of years from now. Yeah, uh, I think Hideaway might be secretly a very influential movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you see these like skeletons on a giant ball and you see the ghost like, looking at them and then hard cut to the title of the movie Hideaway. Uh, and that is a wild opening scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really sets the tone. That was the point in the movie where I was like, Okay, maybe I was right. Maybe this is the thing I'm thinking it's going to be. But then it doesn't quite live up to that. But I think that one of the funniest bits about the ghosts is that, like, there's also, like, the sound effect that I, I didn't put together. They like Nick Cage connection, but just the, like, oh, like, set voice thing that Cage <laughs> does a lot. That's what the, the ghost is making constantly, like, while yes. it's flying through the tunnels of hell, which is hilarious. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so it cuts to the title hideaway. And then from there, you see Goldblum and his wife and his daughter are all in a cabin, Lindsay and Regina, and they're playing a movie game. They're I used like to play little, the movie game. I used to play that, too. It's a great game. Uh, I'm so glad. Like, you know, somebody was like, oh, Gene Hackman's like, oh, the conversation. Oh, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, Faye Dunaway. Ah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're you know connecting actors to movies and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, the daughter is just like, oh, you're a couple of dorks and the, you know, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. I never seen Bonnie and Clyde. I'm a 90s kid. Uh, yeah. I listen to my walk, man. <laughs> Only 90s kids will remember they haven't seen Bonnie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Subscribe. Uh, So, yeah, they're playing the movie game and, you know, they're a fun little family. They're having dinner and the daughter is like, oh, I want to go to this rave tomorrow night. And Goldblum's like, I'm not too keen on the rave scene, man. He's like the opposite of uh, his character from Lush Life. (laughs) I dig on that saxophone ski. Now, imagine this guy saying that. I mean, really, Goldblum should have worked that into all of his movies going forward. That should be his catchphrase. That should be his I'll be back. I can't dig on that saxophone ski, man. (laughs) Uh, uh, So he's saying, you know, he's not going to allow Regina to go to the rave. And he mentions that he can't lose another kid. Right. Right. So when he says that, you're like, oh, well, we just watched this prologue where, you know, you see this kid who killed himself and this wife and the daughter who died. Uh, and, you know, you see somebody running, rushing to him. And like I said, we I thought it was Goldblum. So it's like, yeah. oh, well, OK, so that it happened in Goldblum's past. And, you know, that now he has a new family. That's like that. Yeah. That's what I thought happened. Right. Were you on the same wavelength as that, Mike? Oh, yeah, I think I think they specifically like set that up because then they like pan to the fireplace and show you the other daughter who's in the family photo. And like she kind of vaguely looks like the person that we saw for half a second dead earlier you're like yeah yeah yeah, this all connects yeah exactly so uh that that's all happening and so they're leaving the cabin and then on the way home they hit a truck on the highway (laughs) yeah just the stupidest car accident of all time it it is like um you know the scene in wet hot american summer where where ken marino is driving on the on the highway and he's singing to himself and he's singing like even though he ain't got money yeah. i'm so in love with you and it goes on for like 20 seconds and then he just suddenly goes oh fuck and he crashed into a tree that's off of the road yes yes <laughs> that's exactly what this is that is 100 percent uh what happened here so they hit a truck on the highway their car goes flying and spinning around and it somehow ends up like hanging off of a cliff they're, right. This is somehow the ca- car accident that it had just like the least sense of danger ever. 
<laughs> like, right. Like, even, even though there's like some perilous stuff happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't for a second be like, oh, they're in danger. Like, yeah. Never. Never <laughs> once. Yeah. Also kind of bring it back to cage. Kind of reminded me of uh, the scene in City of Angels where uh, Meg Ryan gets hit by a truck. Right. <laughs> She's like riding the bike and she has like her arms like outstretched wide. And then yeah. boom. <laughs> Uh, one of the funniest death scenes ever put to film. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> not intentionally funny. No, mind you. Um, but yeah, so they hit a truck on the highway. The car goes flying. They're hanging off of this giant cliff uh, and they're freaking out. What are they going to do? And Regina is able to kind of climb over Goldblum and get out of the car. So she's safe. Uh, but then as soon as she gets out, their car just like kind of tumbles backwards and they start and Goldblum and his wife go like flying down uh, and the car actually lands in a river. Wait, uh, it doesn't land into the river, Mike. It, I mean, it does plot wise, but it, the, tr- yes. the transition is the funniest thing ever. Okay, because please. they're falling backwards down the cliff, right? They're sliding, going down the hill. They're like, oh, yeah. no. And it fades to black. And then it fades back in, and the car's in the middle of the river. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they very clearly didn't have the budget <laughs> to shoot, or they didn't, whatever happened, but there's no transition. They just fade in and fade out, right. and they're in two different places. I can't believe they didn't use uh, you know some of that groundbreaking CGI technology right? that uh, <laughs> they were using throughout this movie. Seems like a perfect opportunity for it. Yeah, but, it's uh, right there. Okay, you're right. So it does transition away from that, and then the car, it shows it in the river. Lindsay is like pulling Goldblum's body out of the car and he's unconscious and his eyes are open and like he's not breathing and you know he's almost certainly dead and then we do the tunnel vision thing again yes we do <laughs> now we're going through Goldblum's eyes uh, and we're kind of cutting back and forth between more CGI tunnel vision stuff and Goldblum's kind of sort of heavenly world now yes uh, it's blue instead of red exactly it's it's star wars logic it's you know mm-hmm, this is good mm-hmm. and this is bad uh and the, meanwhile the doctors are attempting to revive goldblum although he's been dead like officially dead for 120 minutes a full two hours goldblum has been dead which i have heard stories about you know people being dead for a few minutes and then like being able to resuscitate them or something like that there's you know that that happens two hours is a long time is a long time can't stop science baby exactly that's why it connects back to threshold uh it's the artificial heart that's what they that's what they put into gold bloom to bring him back from the dead uh so yeah so the doctors are resuscitating him meanwhile you get a a ghost version of gold bloom uh same thing as the the ghost kid from the beginning it's you know the superimposed face in the white blob uh and you see this ghost gold bloom in his you know little heavenly world and he actually sees his kid who died uh, and the kid is like beckoning towards him, this girl. Uh, and as it's happening, you're like, oh, is this the girl from the prologue at the beginning of the movie and stuff like that? But it kind of looks different than the girl from the <laughs> prologue yeah. in the movie. So you're starting to question what all that was. But uh, anyway, you don't have time to figure it out because then Goldblum gets brought back to life. The doctors bring him back and he gets taken out of this like heavenly world. Yes. I mean, it's like kind of intense that like, I mean, you know, if the CGI wasn't so awful, uh, it would be sort of intense that like cutting back and forth and sure. Alfred Molina is like, ah, I don't be two hours, be damned or whatever he says. I forget. Uh, something yep. called, you know, <laughs> records are meant to be broken or some shit. Uh, yeah. And, he's uh, like two hour- and one other doctor's like, but what about what happened last time? He's like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> we don't have time for that. 
Um, yeah, and then they zap them and bring them back. Uh, I mean, it's it's you know pretty good. Alfred Molina is a great actor. Yeah, I love Alfred Molina, of course. And I think at this point, because this is before Spider Man Two, this is way before Spider Man Two, uh, which I think is the role that I think most people would associate with him with him being like the villain of that movie. But like before that, he was you know a pretty great character actor. Just popped up in a bunch of things. Uh, of course, yeah. uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think, being the other most famous thing. Yes, uh, where he's the uh, the guy, Satipo, which was his first role, his, his very first movie role. Uh, just kind of popping up in the prologue of Raiders, uh, which is really great. Um, But yes, Alfred Molina brings Jeff Goldblum back to life uh, after being dead for over two hours. Uh, And he goes to tell Goldblum's wife about it. And she's like, oh, he's dead. I can't believe he's dead. And it's like, actually, that's not true. We brought him back. It's crazy, but we did it. Uh, And, you know, he might seem a little bit different, but I think he's going to be fine. Uh, And so she like rushes out of her hospital room and, you know, goes to see him. Uh, Goldblum has one of his classic quips where he just sees her and is like, oh, so was I supposed to turn into the skin? (laughs) (laughs) He winks at the camera. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) By all accounts, Goldblum seems fine, actually seems even better than he was before. Uh, You know, he uh, is sort of more freeing of alicia silverstone uh, he gets her pearl jam tickets uh Hell which yeah. <laughs> which jeff goldblum getting alicia silverstone pearl jam tickets and a dean Koontz adaptation uh about as 90s as it gets yeah <laughs> right that's there. the most 90s that's like an ad libs of 90s things. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so she's excited. She's going to see Pearl Jam and she gets out of the house. Uh, and then Goldblum and his wife have sex and you know, it's a very crazy sex scene. And then his eyes glow. Yes. You see his eyes glow. Where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. <laughs> Who ever thought we'd get so much mileage out of, uh, <laughs> that movie that it I is- can't remember. Event Horizon. Event Horizon. Come on, man. I got uh, yeah. That is one of my like, all time favorite movie quotes. I say it all the time. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. It's my Sam Neill impression turning into Batman again. Um, (laughs) So uh, Goldblum and Lindsay, they have sex and then his eyes glow. And then afterwards, uh, he tells Lindsay that uh, he saw their daughter, Sam, while he was gone, while he was under, like while he was officially dead. He saw her, but he doesn't remember what happened. He just knows he saw her, basically. Right. Uh, And this is where the visions start to kick in. So and we should mention, like everything up to Goldblum getting brought back to life. That's all the first 15 minutes of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it moves. (laughs) It really does for a while. But so then Goldblum has a vision, right, where he kills a girl and slits her throat. And Goldblum's like freaking out, like, oh, no, what have I done? Ah!" And, you know, he sees himself with like sunglasses and a jacket and like, you know, he's never seen these things before. I don't know what sunglasses are. And then Lindsay finds him, his wife, she finds him outside by the pool, like kind of on the floor. Uh, and, you know, he's bleeding and all that stuff. His like arms have been cut and he's slashed. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was all pretty interesting up till that point, especially because like he has the cuts on his arm, which you see in the vision, like in the attack, like that person cuts somebody yeah. or he gets cut. And like at first I thought like it was like a time travel thing. You know, I'm not really sure, like having visions of the past, maybe. I mean, yeah. you know, the, it's called the hideaway or hideaway. Like, it's pretty obvious what's happening. Uh, you know, the title of the movie. So I thought like some spirit had attached to him or something. So he's having visions of that. And you're not like, did he really kill this person? He's got the cuts and then he like washes them off. Like, it's kind of like the fly in the beginning where he just like has yeah. superhuman abilities at the very beginning of that transformation in the fly. So, yeah, I mean, all this stuff is pretty cool. I was I was still on very on board at this point. And it's like kind of bloody. The kill, like when he kills that girl, like it's pretty right. gory. Uh, so I was like, oh, man, this is going to be this is still this trashy 90s like thriller thing. I'm in. 
Yes, exactly. And it, it feels a lot like a pet cemetery, actually. Absolutely. Uh, at, at this point, too, where it's like, you know, Goblin was brought back to life, but he didn't come back the same. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's better dead. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he's bleeding all over the place. His wife's like, you know, trying to help him washing it off in the sink. But the cuts heal super fast. Like, the, you know, it's like, oh, I guess it wasn't as deep as I thought it was or whatever. Uh, and so they go to see Dr. Nyburn, uh, Alfred Molina's character, and, you know, talk about this vision that Goldblum had and like, you know, this weird like psychotic episode. And Nyburn like kind of levels with them and is like, well, listen, uh, I've only ever done this with one other patient, brought him back from the dead after you know, two hours. Uh, and like, oh, well, can we talk to that patient? It's like, well, no, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not from the resuscitation, of course. Right, right, right. Of course, uh, you know, uh, other issues that, <laughs> that happened. And they're like, oh, well, OK. Uh, and so Goldman's having more visions, more nightmares. Uh, he has a vision of tunnels and an amusement park and a motel and all that stuff will come to play later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he sees a, uh, an article in the newspaper about a missing teenage girl and it's the girl from his vision. So of course he's freaking out about this. He's wondering like, what's going on. And then Goldblum has another vision in the car where another girl is killed. Uh, and there's like this like kind of back and forth cutting back and forth where it kind of replaces the girl who was killed with Regina, his daughter. Yeah. Uh, and so he thinks it could be Regina for a second, but then he realizes it's not uh, and all this stuff. So he's having this vision and then he calls it in uh, to the police, but no girl was found. There's nobody like in the, in the thing and, all that stuff. And Goldman's like, well, could he have moved the body? And it's like, what body? There's no evidence of anything. And I, I liked the scene too, a little bit. Like this is like, it starts to complicate stuff uh, because of the person he's like, you know, seeing through the eyes of realizes he's being watched or something like that. Like he said mm-hmm. that the killer says Regina as Goldblum's yelling Regina. Yeah. Uh, so like, they're like, they're starting to show some connection. And this is where like, you kind of figure out like, Oh no, this is a person now that is doing these things. Uh, it's not like I, I, up until this point, I thought maybe it was like a, a ghost, like a ghost from the past kind of thing. Like he's yes. going to be solving old murders. Uh, also, I, I think I was around here when I realized this movie has pretty much the exact same plot as uh, Eyes of Laura Mars, uh, which is a very, <laughs> a very good horror thriller uh, co-written by John Carpenter in the 70s, uh, starring Faye Dunaway. And uh, it's about a woman who uh, starts to see like the killer's killings like, as they're happening, basically. Right. Like, she sees through the killer's eyes and all that stuff. It's very similar to this movie, uh, although without the, you know, incredibly impressive uh, visual effects, groundbreaking stuff that this, oh, yeah. uh, that this movie has. You know, it's weird. Goldblum was in Jurassic Park and Independence Day, like two movies that had like genuinely groundbreaking, incredible special effects. And that was like their big selling point. And then he was also in this. Uh, yeah. In, in Hideaway. <laughs> two movies later, he's in Hideaway. Yeah, very, very strange. They don't find the girl and uh, Wyndham Earl is like asking Goldblum <laughs> some questions and all that stuff. But they get out of there uh, and there's like a therapy scene where Goldblum actually mentions his daughter, Sam, who was killed in a hit and run. And this is when you realize, like, wait, OK, so if his daughter was killed in a hit and run, then who was the girl at the beginning of the movie? <laughs> yeah, I so far <laughs> you've been uh, directly quoting my uh, notes, which was that Goldblum was previously in one of the best looking movies ever and then is now in one of the worst. Uh, <laughs> and then at this point now is so the intro had nothing to do with Goldblum at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did or you write my notes, Mike? <laughs> I'm, I'm so confused. I actually I've, I talked to you in an earpiece as we're watching the movie just to just see so mm. you write down everything that I that, that I'm going to say. Basically. Okay, good. Uh, just so we're on the same page, you know, I, I, I saw you writing your notes through your eyes. <laughs> We had our very own hideaway thing going. Yes. <laughs> um, so Regina is uh, going out to the club 
right? She uh, yes. decides yeah, she's she's heading out, hanging out with her friends, uh, and she's not going to tell you know her dad Goldblum, which I think at one point she's like, oh, I'm almost sixteen, I can go to. <laughs> I yeah, can go to clubs. I can go to raves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That '90s teen angst. You know, you would think after the horrific accident that they just experienced together, uh, she might want to spend like some time with her parents. Nah, <laughs> who, especially her dad, who was dead for <laughs> two hours. Yeah. Uh, there's one moment where she's so flippant about it on the phone when she's talking to her friend Linda, and it's like, "Yeah, my dad's all kind of worked up, dying and all." You know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she got those Pearl Jam tickets out of it. So really, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> who was who won? She actually orchestrated the whole thing. She was the mastermind behind yes. the hideaway. Uh, she so, was the, who, who's the real hideaway. So she goes out to the club and then Goldblum actually has a vision of the killer in sunglasses and a trench coat or whatever, <laughs> or, or like leather jacket, sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Sisto's character when he has like the curly hair and it really does look like He's Neo like it's yeah like like this is the look that Neo popularized like four years later but in this movie it just seems like a weirdo yeah he looks like such a dweeb absolutely although there you do get a scene of Goldblum in the same outfit uh he looks great he oh looks yeah really, really good stunning uh he wears it a lot better than Jeremy's sister does but uh <laughs> yeah so that he has a vision of the killer in sunglasses and he's at the same club as Regina and uh this killer introduces himself to her uh and he calls himself Visago uh, and he says to her, like, I've seen and he's like hinting at, you know, the fact that uh, he's, you know, seen her through Goldblum's eyes as he as Goldblum can see through his eyes. Right. Uh, and, you know, Linda is uh, Linda, who is Regina's friend. She gets rid of him, says he's a creep. And, you know, Alicia Silverstone's like, why did you get rid of him? Oh, yeah, I liked him. You said he was <laughs> I, cute. Yeah, I liked this weird guy who has sunglasses at night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then they get out of there and then he actually meets this girl named Zoe. She's like, oh, struck out, huh? And again, this girl, like Regina is 15 years old. Right. Uh, Gross. <laughs> so she, he meets this girl named Zoe and uh, he takes her away to show her his sculpture, uh, which uh, one of my favorite uh, lines in the movie also is uh, him describing his art. And he's like, well, I use bones in my work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He is every guy that would be mad at a Star Wars movie on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) He's creating fake accounts to yell at Ryan Johnson. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, So, yeah. So he takes Zoe out of there and they're they're driving back. Uh, They're driving like away from the place and uh, he knocks her out in the car uh, and she wakes up in a cellar. And uh, she tries to escape in the tunnels. She's like running around, but he's there. Uh, he's like, oh, welcome to my monument to hell. And, you know, <laughs> I feel like stuff. it's supposed to be a like, really cool moment. <laughs> but it's not. No, absolutely not. Uh, so he, he kills her, slits her throat again. And Goldblum sees it all in a nightmare. Right. right. So he Goldblum's seeing another murder uh, and he's freaking out. And this is when they kind of officially reveal that Visago is uh, also seeing through Goldblum's eyes, too. So he can also kind of see. Like, they hinted at it before, but this is when they finally, like, officially are like, oh, there's a connection between the two of them. But yeah, so then I believe Lindsay's on the phone with Dr. Nyburn, uh, and, you know, she's talking about, you know, what Goldblum's been talking about in his nightmares, and she mentioned something about the Skies Motel, and Dr. Nyburn's, like, acting all, like, you know, secretive on the phone, and he calls somebody else, and he's like, I may have a lead. Uh, <laughs> Next time, gadget. I'll get you, Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so he says, yeah, I may have a lead. And he sends a guy out to this uh, Skies Motel to investigate. And then that guy shows up and Visago kills that guy like immediately. Instantly. Uh, and then like nothing really like <laughs> that happens. And then it's not really addressed again for like a while. Like they don't mention <laughs> that guy dying 
for a little bit. But then Goldblum is, you know, in full on freak out mode at this point. And he buys a bunch of guns and is hiding them all over the house. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a shotgun and all this stuff. And he's hiding them under beds and everything. Uh, and so he goes to Rose, uh, who is a psychic friend of uh, Marion. I think her name was the other uh, woman who works at Hatch's antique shop, which, yes. by the way, Goldblum owns an antique shop in this movie. Just uh, throwing that out there. Yeah, uh, I, I, think a, I think another father's and son's connection where he owns a bookstore, oh, yeah. but a little yes. boutique thing, you know? If if Goldblum wasn't an actor and he wasn't a jazz musician, musician, I think he could do very well as like a small sound bookstore antique shop owner. And isn't that what they own in Deep Cover? Was I think it was an art gallery, right, or something? Uh, something like that. Yeah, it had yeah. it had to be something a little more high scale, right? In Deep Cover, probably, yeah, probably, uh, or a cocaine factory or whatever. <laughs> <it was>. um, <laughs> Designer drugs, baby. <laughs> uh, so he goes to Rose, Marion's psychic friend, and uh, she kind of reads his situation with uh, tarot cards. Uh, and, you know, she's describing how, like, oh, there is some kind of connection between you and somebody else. And he knows you watch him. And then she sees, like, through Goldblum's eyes, like, oh, he is here. Like, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so Goldblum leaves. But as he leaves, he glimpses her address on her mailbox. And Visago sees it through Goldblum's eyes and now he knows it. So he's on his way over there. I love how many times they use that device in this movie because it's at least three or four. Because oh, like, yeah. that's how Goldblum <laughs> knows where to call in the body the first time where there is no yep. body. And they just constantly are seeing each other's addresses and locations through each other's <laughs> eyes. Yeah, I mean, the entire climax of the movie hinges on it because Goldblum uh, has to get to the amusement park. And so he starts cutting himself to feel the pain that would induce the visions like while they're on yeah. <laughs> this car ride. So he can see like what, where this guy is driving to. Uh, it's, it's kind of nuts. But so, uh, yeah, Goldblum figures out that pain induces the visions basically. Right. Uh, and he cuts his hand with a razor to see skies motel. He sees a sign that says skies motel, but there's no listing for skies motel, uh, in the phone book. Uh, and there's no internet, so right. uh, you're fine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess the internet existed, but it's 1995, so it's not as easily available. We're not all in lawnmower man here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he calls information for Sky's Motel, <laughs> right. as if Pearl Jam tickets bought by Jeff Goldblum for Alicia Silverstone in a thriller written by Dean Koontz wasn't 90s enough. They yeah. call 411. Yeah, absolutely. They should have called Movie Phone too. Just oh to my that. god. <laughs> Remember movie phone? That was a thing. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, it definitely seemed easier to just look up the movie times in the newspaper because they used to do that back then. Yeah, but you had to uh, have a newspaper. Also true. Good point. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Visago arrives at Rose's, the psychic, and, uh, you know, he shows up and, you know, it's, it's very late at night. And he's like, tell me about Regina. <laughs> he kills her. He kills he kills the psychic. Goldblum arrives to investigate, but is too late. Uh, so he calls in another murder. And hangs up like anonymous. He just gets out of there and then figures out, oh, it's not the Skies Motel. It's the Blue Skies Motel. <laughs> how did he figure that out again? Do you remember like how it was just another vision thing? I feel like everything in this movie was a vision. Thing, I think I he might drive past it by accident and like, oh, yeah, recognizes the <laughs> yeah. sign. And then the yes. camera does that like cheeky like, huh? You didn't look up high enough. And the camera pans up to show that blue. is blue. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Reveal that the full name is the Blue Skies Motel. Yes. Uh, so the Blue Skies Motel and Goldblum goes into Visago's room uh, and Visago is not there, but he sees Regina's name in the fog on the shower. Yes. Uh, you know, very creepy serial killer stuff. And then he actually uh, breaks into the car of the guy that Visago killed earlier and he finds a bunch of tapes and he like takes them with him. And then Goldblum goes home. Detective Breach shows up, Wyndham Earl. Yeah. Uh, and, and he shows up at the house to ask about Rose because like, oh, I got a call about another murder. And uh, it looks like there was some kind of struggle, but there was no body found. And I thought, well, you know, 
uh, something about, you know, you said this the other day and now I'm just investigating. And uh, his wife says that Golden's been with her all night, which, of course, is a lie. Detective Breach leaves and then Lindsay and Goldblum are arguing. And this resulted in my absolute favorite line in the movie, uh, which <laughs> which is, you know, Lindsay's like, what is happening to you, uh, Hatch? What's wrong with you? And uh, Goldblum is like staring out the window and he's like, well, I've been sucked into this evil fuck. <laughs> It's always so much fun when Golden curses, and I don't know why. <laughs> I think because he's most like the the most well known Golden stuff is like PG thirteen blockbusters, you yeah. know. So, uh, which I think Hideaway, I'm not sure if it was PG thirteen or, or if it was rated R. I feel like it could go either way because I don't think there's that many instances of swearing in the movie. I don't know. You're like, right. It's like not particularly violent, but it is violent. It's violent and it's bloody, but it's like just not bloody enough where I could be like, I could see this squeaking by with a PG-13. Yeah, maybe. But but if this was the only F word in the movie, which it may have been, it's a well-placed F word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Lindsay and Goldblum are arguing and she's like freaking out. She doesn't know what to do about it. But Goldblum tells her that she and Regina have to leave tomorrow night and he can't know where, because if he knows where, then the killer will know where and all that stuff. Uh, So he goes to his antique shop and he's watching videos of Visago. Uh, and it turns out his real name is Jeremy and Nyburn is there. Dr. Nyburn, Alfred Molina, he's in the video. And so Goldblum goes over to Nyburn's house and he confronts him. and He's like, who's Jeremy? And then while this is happening, Visago slash Jeremy goes to Hatch's antique store and pretends to be blind to get their address from Marion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she doesn't buy it. And, you know, she's like kind of just scribbles down on a piece of paper and, you know, because she's getting kind of creeped out by it. And he knocks her out and uh, finds the address. But it also notes that the, the light is hurting his eyes like he can't be in the sunlight that's why he wears sunglasses all the time yeah i mean this is also the second funniest cutaway in the movie so the first funniest is absolutely the fade out and fade into the car in the car crash (laughs) sure but so go bloom is watching the tape and they're explaining the thing you know that he is like kind of catatonic and they have to sedate him because of he's psychotic or whatever's happening post resuscitation and that his eyes are incredibly sensitive and that's like he can't even look in low level light and stuff and then it smash cuts to Visago slash Jeremy, and he's fucking welding, which is like, I mean, he's wearing <laughs> welding goggles, but like welding is if you're not wearing the goggles, it's bright enough to like melt your eyeballs. So like the, yeah. the goggles can only be doing so much for someone who's sensitive to low level light. Um, right. The goggles, they do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Like I was like, what's happening? <laughs> it's been an hour and 20 minutes of this not being a plot point, <laughs> And then they introduce it. It's almost like they were like halfway through filming and we're like, oh shit, the light thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we gotta squeeze this in somehow. Yeah, this is gonna be important <laughs> to the climax. Put it in. Um, it was very funny. It's really great. Uh, so it cuts back to Goldblum at Nyburn's house and there, he's throwing Nyburn around. <laughs> he's beating he's, the shit out of him. He's tossing Alfred Molina over a table and <laughs> all this stuff. It's a WWE match, basically. Yeah. They're bringing out the ladders and the chairs, and it's it's a whole thing. Uh, and as he's throwing Nyburn around, uh, he hits, he, like, smashes him against his refrigerator, and the dead body from the motel falls out of the fridge. The guy that Nyburn sent to go find uh, Jeremy uh, slash Visago, the, the guy that he killed at the motel, the body falls out of the fridge, and there's a note on the body that says, like... <laughs> Exactly the best exposition of all time. <laughs> the note says like something. What does the note say? I'm trying to get the exact wording right. It's like you, you have to send another one, Dad, or something like that. Right. 
Yeah, you have to send another one, Dad. And it's it's this is when it all becomes clear that Jeremy is Nyburn's son. Dun dun dun. dun. So he was the one you saw in the prologue, and Nyburn was the guy who you didn't see in the prologue who ran up to him. Yeah. Uh, and Nyburn brought him back to life. Uh, and so yeah, N- Jeremy killed his mother and his sister, uh, who were also Nyburn's wife and daughter, and you know killed himself. And then Nyburn like brought him back because he was my son. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the deliver the note. It's like the like I have a machine gun now. Ho 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 uh, thing. <laughs> it's like but for plot relevant exposition, which is yes. hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely so good, and that's why you always leave a note. Yes, uh, but yeah. So there's a race back to Goldblum's house before Jeremy gets there because he has Goldblum's address and he's heading over there. And Goldblum knows that because he can see through Jeremy's eyes. Uh, Goldblum gets his own address through a vision. That's how committed they are to this bit. <laughs> You're right. Uh, but yes, yeah, so he. he can see through Jeremy's eyes and he's like racing back to his house, but Jeremy gets there first. And uh, there's actually a really genuinely <laughs> solid, like, you know, kind of like jump scare thing for a bit when Alicia Silverstone's on the phone and you see him like behind her, like, Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And that ends in a very funny thing when he just has her like over his shoulder and he's yes. like, ha and he jumps off the roof into the bush. <laughs> like if you jumped off a second story, I mean, I guess it's the like one story tall, like it's the porch roof. Uh, yes. But with somebody over your shoulder, just into a bush, like you'd both get very hurt. <laughs> yes. But don't forget, this guy is like Satan incarnate. True. Like he might have secret powers that we don't know about. This, the subtitle to Hideaway is the son of Mr. Frost. <laughs> I would have loved if there was a direct connection between this movie and Mr. Frost. That would have been amazing. And that Jeff Goldblum wasn't playing the son of Mr. Frost. <laughs> Instant five stars. <laughs> so, yeah, he kidnaps Regina. He gets out of there, jumps off the roof. Uh, and so now Goldblum's wife is like, oh, my God, what's happening? And like, now I believe you. And so yeah. <laughs> Goldblum, Goldblum and his wife, uh, they follow him through the visions, right? right? They follow Jeremy through the visions. And Goldblum keeps, like, cutting himself uh, in the car so that he can induce the pain to see the vision, to see where he's going. And they're chasing after him. And it's like, oh, he's on the highway. Go east. Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. And they eventually realize it's heading over to Wonderland, this uh, shut down amusement park. And we cut over to Wonderland where he's he's has been building this huge sculpture or whatever. This like huge artistic tribute to Satan uh, with like all of his victims and stuff. And Nyburn shows up there. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Alfred Molina, he shows <laughs> up there and he meets Jeremy there to try to reason with him. Uh, and Jeremy stabs him. So that happens. But then Goldblum and Lindsay are like wandering around the amusement park and uh, they find these like underground tunnels and Goldblum trips down the stairs. <laughs> it was booby trapped. Oh, yes. Yeah, there was a booby trap there. So there's like a little wire there that he trips over. Yeah, uh, he trips down the stairs. And when he gets up, uh, Lindsay has disappeared. He doesn't know where she is. Uh, and so Goldblum uh, like finds the power box and he turns on the power for the roller coaster. There's like this giant mountain that yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that Jeremy is on top of. And, you know, he's got uh, Regina and Lindsay there like tied up and he's like, you'll get to watch your whole family die. Ha 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 ha. And. <laughs> all that stuff. And Goldblum's like kind of crawling towards the mountain. And there's this one really amazing moment where Alfred, Mo- he sees Alfred Molina, Nyburn, uh, and Nyburn's like, forgive me. And then he dies. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's after he's fallen, right? He's like running through all the tunnels and stuff. And he gets yes. to like a door that's chained shut. And he does the action hero, like shotgun to blow the lock off. Yes. And he like kicks the door open and jumps through. And it's like the tunnel for some reason is like suspended in the air. 
and he just tumbles out. It's like, ah, and falls into this pile of, you know, uh, broken amusement park stuff. And that's where Alfred Molina yes. is. And that is actually a really good moment. I did like that where he kind of like from out, out of the pile is like, forgive me. And then dies. Well, he yeah. just turns over and is like, I'm dead now. <laughs> it, this is kind of like a, like, I wonder if Lars von Trier saw this before he made house that Jack built. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I'm glad. Because that is, I mean, the house of Jack Bill is a lot grosser than this movie and a lot creepier and a lot crazier. Um, But that's a movie about a serial killer uh, played by Matt Dillon, who, you know, spends decades just like, you know, killing victims and amassing this like kind of like tribute to all of them and like use their body parts to create this like, you know, big house. It's the house that Jack built. Right. And then he goes uh, to hell and then he goes to hell. Yeah. Maybe hideaway was the secret house. The Jack built prequel My God. Uh, that we didn't know about. We're connecting so many movies back to, <laughs> back to hideaway. I'm telling you, it's secretly influential. Yes. Um, so uh, up at the top of the, uh, this mountain, uh, Lindsay uh, Golden's wife, she unties herself and she actually has a pretty amazing fight scene with Jeremy. Yeah, she does. She kicks his ass. <laughs> she, she does. <laughs> they have like this huge fight. It's like they're suddenly it's like Cynthia Rothrock just like <laughs> yeah. does, subbed just, in for a second. <laughs> just high kicks everywhere. Yeah, there's like martial arts happening and flips and shit and she's kicking his ass and uh and then she, she does pretty well, but then eventually he like you know, pushes her and she falls and gets knocked out. Uh and so now it's Goldblum versus Jeremy uh to save Regina. Jeremy's got his welding tools. <laughs> yep. He's got his thing and he's, you know, got the goggles on and everything. Uh, and as they're in this like twisted sculpture, as they're fighting, Goldblum is seeing all the dead girls that uh, he saw from all the visions. Like he sees, you know, one girl in the corner and it's like, oh man, it's the girl whose throat was slit and there's yeah. the girl in the car and there's, you know, the psychic and everything like that. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, they're all in this sculpture. And then Goldblum and Jeremy lock eyes. Uh, and... <laughs> I couldn't exactly tell you what happens over the next few minutes. Uh, it's a mostly incomprehensible nonsense, but it is really wild to watch. <laughs> yeah, my note is literally the visual effects are incomprehensible. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they lock eyes and like the sexy sax man music starts playing. And mm-hmm. uh, no, not really. Then <laughs> like the demon inside of Jeremy comes out and then the angel from Goldblum comes out and there's like this yeah. mythical CGI battle between those two entities over yeah. the Wonderland place that we're at. And it's just like, what is happening? Yeah. And then and then Lindsay throws Goldblum the shotgun and he does like a Terminator crunk thing and shoots him. Um, <laughs> bizarre. Like, what is happening with this movie? Yeah. So this this is a giant blue. Uh, orb is fighting this giant red orb uh, and there's you know that you see the uh, the demon like the the world with the flaming skeletons like all flying flying around and stuff like that uh, also but yeah and it's kind of like you know darkness being absorbed by the light or whatever uh, in this sequence but yeah the, the actual fight between Goldblum and Jeremy is still going on and he shoots him with the shotgun uh, and he shoots him in the chest and then you know he his ghost kind of like emerges like and goes towards the red light and like there that's it basically yeah you know what i've just realized do you think the pearl jam song jeremy is from the soundtrack to this movie (laughs) (laughs) it's all clicking into place that's why they went to it's foreshadowing it's why they went to a pearl jam show my god uh uh, but it definitely wasn't because Jeremy was on 10, which was 1991. Okay. And uh, this is 95. Do you think it was um, on the soundtrack for this movie? <laughs> oh, on the soundtrack. I don't know. I think the soundtrack actually did feature like all the metal songs that were in. The movie, Amazing. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. So I saw some letterbox reviews that were like, I used to have the soundtrack to this movie and it kind of rocked. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so the uh, like this this all happens. Jeremy gets shot in the chest and his ghost gets absorbed into like this dark pit and, you know, gets absorbed by the light and all that stuff. Uh, and then the family has like this vision of their dead daughter, Sam, right. uh, and they all kind of see it at the same time. And they're like, huh, wild. And then they all walk away in the credits roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good thing we all have, uh, you know, telepathic powers now. Bye. Uh, no, what was the end of Fathers and Sons? That was Fathers and Sons. Yeah. yeah. Very strange. They all kind of just accept, like, huh, the afterlife is real. And then they roll credits. And that is theoretically the end of the movie. Or is it? No. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you're aware of this. This movie had a post credit scene. Get the fuck out of here. No, it didn't. <laughs> oh, it did. Oh, my God. Uh, and I, I, the only reason I know that because I stopped watching it basically as soon as the credits started rolling, I, I like turned off. Uh, I went online, I started doing the podcast prep for this episode and I was going through the Wikipedia synopsis just to make sure I had my details right. And the very last paragraph it says, and in a post credit scene. And I was like, what the what? <laughs> Hideaway <laughs> did it first. This is the most influential movie of all time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there is a post credit scene in Hideaway and I'm going to describe it to you, Mike. And you're not going to believe me that this is the post credit scene because <laughs> I did watch it. Uh, like as soon as I saw that that it existed, I had to go back and like fast forward through my rented Amazon copy of yep. <laughs> this movie and catch up with the post credit scene. Uh, the post credit scene of this movie is Jeremy <laughs> being rushed to the hospital. No, <laughs> where the doctors actually revive him again. Get the fuck out of here! I am not getting the fuck out of here. They revive him again, and as he's being revived, as he's as soon as he wakes up, he picks up a scalpel. And slits a nurse's throat. Oh, my God. And then, after that happens, Goldblum wakes up in his bed. Yeah. And and he's like, oh, my God. Then his wife's like, what? What is it? It's like, oh, I just had the craziest dream. And then, <laughs> and then he and Lindsay laugh about it, and they play the movie game again. <laughs> Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner. Um. <laughs> Amazing. That's incredible. It was one of the most bizarre post credit scenes I've ever seen. In a movie. Uh, and I'm not sure, like, you know, the Wikipedia synopsis like implies that, oh, maybe this is actually the scene that's showing you like what happened when Jeremy was resurrected the first time or something. And it's like, cause that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, but there's no indication that that's the case. And, and Dr. Nyburn's not there. So it, it seems like he's actually being revived again. And they're that, like, they might be setting up a hideaway too. That just never got to happen because this movie didn't do that well at the box office. That's incredible. I love, I, uh, I love the balls to put a, <laughs> to put a oh my post credit scene on a movie <laughs> like this. Absolutely. Uh, so that is Hideaway. Uh, one of the more insane movies we've talked about on this podcast, I think. Yeah, I think it, a lot of times uh, in situations like this with movies like this, uh, it's way more fun to talk about than it is to actually watch. Uh, that's not incorrect, but I did have fun watching. Okay. This movie. I'm glad. <laughs> so there's that. I do think it drags a little bit in the middle. I would say that. But I think the uh, the opening is really fun. The ending is really fun. Uh, and it's just complete nonsense. <laughs> Like going into it, like go watch it going in, knowing that it's like not very good. Right. <laughs> but it's really silly and dumb. And it's really fun to watch on that level. <laughs> what more do you need? Yeah, exactly. So that is uh, our review of Hideaway. Uh, I do a few uh, letterbox reviews, Mike. Should we see what the people have to say? Let's see. All right. Here's a two and a half star review from our friend, the poetic critic. Uh, and I believe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. This is 12 lines. So I was going to say it was a sonnet. 
or no, a sonnet's two lines. What's a 14-line one? A stanza? No. No, that's like a five-line one. You're tripping. What's a 12? What's that? You're tripping. <laughs> I'm <me>. tripping. <laughs> what, what's a 12-line poem? I think that's like a, a sonnet. Is that a sonnet? Yeah. Okay. I thought I thought a sonnet might have been two lines. No, or that's, that's a couplet. couplet. That's a, yeah, okay. I got okay. I got my wires crossed. Uh, the point is, it's a poem. <laughs> and it's from the Poetic Critic. <laughs> it's a two-and-a-half-star review, and it goes like this. What elevates a film to passable when it's a mix of parts all secondhand? Some dead zone here, the silence of the lambs there, some satanic panic over here, the closed amusement park there at the end. Well, dodgy 90s CGI aside, it has big studio gloss and some style, but most of all, it has actors who care about their work, even if the script's not worth their talents. Oh my Goldblum, I have doubts about what may lie yonder, some vague veil, but what explains his work but spark divine? Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, that was very that was very Shakespearean. That's much more than this movie uh, probably deserves credit. Yes. For. <laughs> yes. I think uh, I think it tracks, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so here's a three star review of Hideaway from Cropsy on Letterboxd. In this sequel to the movie Clueless, uh, after Elton is rejected by Cher, he reverses Satanism and becomes physically connected to her father, bringing him closer to enact his revenge against the girl who broke his heart. At first, I was thrown off by the sequel because it has a completely different tone. <laughs> Instead of a comedy, we have a horror thriller with an industrial metal soundtrack. It also conjures up some scenes with heaven and hell using PlayStation 1 graphics. Uh, I was really thrown off by this until I found out it was directed by the guy who did Virtuosity and The Lawnmower Man. I learned to accept what this follow-up had to offer. I'm glad they replaced Cher's Cher's father with Jeff Goldblum. He's better looking and much more charismatic. (laughs) Amazing. Overall, it's a fine sequel, although I appreciate what Clueless has to offer more. <laughs> I think that I think it's pretty weird in the, when they're playing the movie game in the beginning, the movie, like they she they like make a joke about how she oh, you can't name a movie Cher has been in uh, to like two Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> it's pretty odd. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is very, very strange. Didn't even make that connection. But yeah, she plays Cher in Clueless, which came out a few months after this. But she can't name Cher. Was that like did they know Clueless is going to be big? Did I don't they know. know? <laughs> That's pretty wild. But uh, all right, here's a three star review from Kinky, uh, which reads as soon as the absolutely terrible CGI kicked in, I knew I was going to like this. I really shouldn't, as it's not great, but it has such a fantastic setup and Goldblum's working overtime to hold up his end of the deal. It's like a bad X-Files episode meets a bad Outer Limits episode. And to me, that's a good thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good way to describe it, actually. That feels like about right where the influences are coming from here. Yeah. Uh, here's a two star review from Carlo. Jeff Goldblum dies and is brought back to life and he makes the front page of the newspaper with this. And it's basically a drawing that belongs in a heavy metal magazine (laughs) of of a gigantic devil cradling Goldblum. So that's something, I guess. (laughs) I forgot. It's like a National Enquirer. It's not a real newspaper. Okay, fair enough. I thought it was the real newspaper, and it is a very strange photo. Yeah, well, because the, the, you see, like, the back page, because it's folded over, it says, like, oh, new, like, New Mexico woman has three brains. Uh, so it's like... Right. Okay, I get yeah. it. Here's a one-star review. This is our last one from Kurt, which reads, My opinion on this movie may not be the most trustworthy one, as I watched it late at night in a half-awake daze with Dorito residue on my chin, uh, aching calves pestering me, enveloped by a sticky midsummer dead-of-night heat, but this thing sucks. <laughs> it is so clearly an adaptation of what another reviewer aptly describes as checkout lane horror uh, with a serial killer somehow inhabiting the mind of Jeff Goldblum because he survived a car accident thanks to being revived after essentially being dead for two hours. What exactly? 
commits the laziest of lazy tropes by making the killer a guy who wears all black and listens to heavy metal. He has other cliches, too, but considering how the film demonizes the club Alicia Silverstone sneaks off to solely because rock music is blaring out, this is probably a film made by someone who thought the West Memphis Three were guilty. Jesus Christ. What a twist. Yeah, Hideaway also has some of the worst 90s-era CGI you'll see, when the spirits of Goldblum and killer Jeremy Sisto merge in this awful-looking afterlife that borders on creepy solely because it looks like a bunch of early-era computer glitches. Uh, Goldblum isn't allowed to do anything fun with this performance, and Alicia Silverstone plays the most cliched, parent-hating teenager, that is, until Goldblum gets her Pearl Jam tickets. Now that's how you win over your 90s audience. (laughs) (laughs) When we don't actually see Pearl Jam appear, a la Cameron Crowe's singles, that's pretty much when I let my heavy eyelids win. I finished the last few minutes the next day. It was not worth it. Hide away from this film, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) I could see if I was mad when I started watching this movie, just like in general, that would have been my take. Yeah. 100%. (laughs) I could definitely see you having that exact reaction. Actually. Yeah. Uh, I do think that the movie would be improved if Pearl Jam actually made a cameo in the movie. Yeah. Oh, they're like the band at the club. Is Pearl Jam. Yes. That would have been amazing. I think it is. Like, it, I think it's a, re- a real metal band that's playing at the club. I just forget which one. But it's, it's, it's you know, one of those like metal bands that was may- maybe kind of popular in the 90s, but people don't really know anymore. Yeah. I honestly straight up forgot that there is like gratuitous footage of a band playing at that club. Um, yep. Yep. Oh, well, never mind. Yeah. So. Uh, so that is Hideaway from 1995, directed by Brett Leonard, starring Jeff Goldblum. And, uh, you know, it's not a good movie, but we have fun with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It is fun to dunk on it a lot. So <laughs> at least there's that. So it's got that going for it, which is nice. Uh, so, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Tricio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can always hit us up at JeffGoldblumCompleteWorks at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. I actually just guest starred on an episode of that show. Uh, which should theoretically be out by now. It's not out as we're recording this. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be out. Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah, theoretically. So, uh, yeah, listen to that. And you can hear me talk about uh, the crazy uh, Warner Brothers HBO Max deal that has uh, happened over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out uh, over the next few months as every studio is mad at them. <laughs> uh, and you can follow this podcast on Twitter at GoBloomPod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Join us next week on The Complete Works. Jeff Goldblum appears with Hugh Grant, Julianne Moore, Robin Williams, and more in a romantic comedy that made money, but nobody likes. Uh, Nine Months is the uh, the next movie we're talking about, Mike. Uh, wow. Are you familiar with that movie at all? Not, a, not even in the slightest little bit. OK, my, my main familiarity with the movie is that, A, I know Hugh Grant doesn't like it, mm-hmm. uh, and B... There was a joke in The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, like most things. Like most things I'm familiar with. There was a joke in The Simpsons uh, where they're touring Hollywood and uh, they're on this kind of like crappy, you know, Hollywood tour on like a bus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as one point where uh, the tour guide is like, oh, and this is where Hugh Grant and Julianne Moore and Marge goes, ooh, filmed nine months. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so. So that's what I got going into nine months. That's what I'm expecting. Interesting. <laughs> 
Uh, so we got that one to talk about uh, next week. Keep listening for our bonus episodes of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. This week, we're reviewing David Fincher's new film on Netflix, Mank, which uh, I was very excited about. I feel like Mike was a little bit more uh, reserved in his excitement for that movie, but I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, it should be fun to uh, talk about. Yeah, definitely. So we'll be doing that in just a bit. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the Gold Bloom. <laughs>